Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about First Baptist Church of Silva, please visit firstbaptistsilva.com. A man walked into the coffee shop where my daughter is a barista. He was a regular customer, so they struck up a conversation. How you doing, she asked. Oh, fine, just real busy at church. You know, tomorrow's Pentecost Sunday. A co-worker uh, who is not a person of the church asked the customer, what's that? He said, well, it's when the sound of a rushing wind came roaring and, and tongues of fire appeared over everybody's head and when those people spoke, people from all over the known world could understand. And the co-worker, no doubt with his tongue at least a little bit in his cheek, said, Woo! Can't wait! Well, it's quite a story we tell, isn't it? And maybe the best way to realize its strangeness is if we were to tell a non-churchgoer, someone who has not been formed and schooled and has heard the story many, many times, what exactly would you say beyond once upon a time these things happened? I want to focus this morning not so much on the signs and wonders, there is a place for that for sure, but I want to focus for just a few moments this morning on the purpose of those signs and wonders. I want us to consider the scope of Pentecost. You and I have traveled through Holy Week, the horror of Good Friday, the dawning light, capital L, light of Easter. For 40 days, Jesus, the resurrected Lord, opened the minds and understanding of his disciples. I've often tried to imagine those Bible studies, what they were like, saying to them, it is written that Messiah is to suffer and rise from the dead, and on the third day be raised from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed to all nations. Wait in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high and when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive dunamis, dynamite it says in in the original language there. You will receive power to be my witnesses. And sure enough, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit descended as mighty wind and and tongues of fire, and those fishermen and unschooled disciples spoke in such a way that people from every nation under heaven heard the message in their own tongue to such a degree that they were captured by it to say, what must we do? Now, just a reminder that in New Testament language and thought, the word nations is not the word for nation-state, like England and India and the, the United States. The Greek word is ethne, from which we get, say, ethnicity, people groups, tribes, um, uh, racial 
uh, socioeconomic groupings that are not determined by national boundary lines. Maybe the best way to think of it is in that wonderful hymn we sing, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. There's a line in there, Let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball. This unlikely group of disciples, followers of Jesus, given the power to speak to where every known people group, social grouping that were as divided as, say, the social groups, both socioeconomic and racial and political in the United States at this moment, they were given the power to speak the word, tell the story of Jesus and his love in such a way as to bridge every single one of those barriers that divide people. Dr. Luke is serious about geography. For him, the gospel is not some kind of little abstract theory that's floating up there in the ether somewhere. Luke grounds his telling of the story in specific geography. He could have said, there dwelling in Jerusalem were devout believers from every nation under heaven, and just leave it at that. He didn't. He goes at length, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, what I just read here a moment ago, stretching out of all people who hear. People from those specific places were amazed and again and wondered not only at the message but of the spokespersons of those who were given the amazing ability to speak the story and they heard it as a life and death message addressed to them. If we want to catch something of the sheer scope of Pentecost, I'd invite us to dwell for a while on how the gospel of God in Jesus Christ has become embodied in the geography all over this globe. Sometimes we think in terms of our area it arrived late here, about 15 centuries into it. The story had been going on, the history. So it's not only our culture, it is not only our nation. It arrived here, again, in the 1400s in a form that we're still trying to disentangle and find out and, and determine what is genuine from what was cultural at the time that was um, imported in. You no doubt have read uh, how the, dra uh, the dramatic shift in the religious landscape has been taking place over the last several decades. How the center of gravity, we've been informed, the center of gravity of the Christian world is now located in what's called the Global South, Asia, Latin America, Africa. Church is exploding there. The largest Christian communities in the world today are in Africa and in Latin America. And we're told uh, the trend points to a global majority of non-white, non-Western Christians within a few decades. 
One estimate is that by the year 2050, only one-fifth of the world's three billion Christians will be non-Hispanic whites. One of our saints, Baptist saints, here in the good old U.S. of A. and good old Deep South is Clarence Jordan. Uh, it's J-O-R-D-A-N, but in South Georgia parlance is pronounced Jordan. I won't go into his whole story today, but he is one of our saints, St. Clarence. Because, as, as they say, saints are God's faculty. And Clarence Jordan was one of the faculties for us Baptists. He uh, set up shop in terms of farming in, in, uh, in South Georgia uh, and uh, was in the, in the 1940s had an interracial uh, farming there, paid the price for it. In fact, he, when people would ask what is his denomination, he would have to say, well, I'm excommunicated Baptist. He got kicked out of his local church for, for doing and living out that. But Clarence Sheridan said this, the steeple is defined by the kingdom. Every local congregation represents a point of entry into the global fellowship of the church. Even when one, he said, steps into a culturally uh, homogeneous congregation, one still enters a transnational association because of the scripture that we read and because of the songs that we sing and the scripture that we hold as the authority of our faith and practice from every nation under heaven the spirit comes and the message and the ability to speak that message and to live it out and to enter in to what God is doing in the world the kingdom Every nation under heaven. I don't know about you, I need to be reminded of that from time to time, if not regularly, because I, I can think of the gospel in terms of individual. N.T. Wright says, when, when we Christians, when many of us think about salvation, our life in Christ, we think of two things. One, that I can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And two, because of that, I can go to heaven when I die. And he says, both of those things are gloriously true. But he says, that's the first base camp of this Everest called Easter. And the Spirit brings us beyond base camps, further up and further in, into this Everest called Easter. God is at work bringing God's creation, all the ethnicities of the world into one family through the work, through the ministry of, of Jesus Christ, his life, and his life and death and resurrection and the sending of the Holy Spirit and the creation of the people of God called church to be the bearers of the news that reach every nation of the world. Well, that's the vision. That's the big picture truth. As one of the church fathers said, though, it's one thing to see from a wooded ridge the land of peace there in the, the distance. 
But it's another thing then to hold to the path that gets us there. And so our calling, our ministry, our witness as church is to hold to that path with that glorious reality there in the distance in our future. Let me say for just a minute, how do we do that? I think we tell the stories of the, the way the Holy Spirit has worked in our lives, in the life of this congregation. Uh, I was thrilled to see, and I hope uh, Miss Patty, you know, as, as she entered and uh, as the oldest member here, is that right name, Miss Miss Patty? Yeah. The, the uh, sheer joy of fellowship, what stories, I'm sure she knows her family, you as a congregation, to tell the stories of how the Holy Spirit has used this people uh, for, for, his, uh, for his glory. Another way to stay on that path, to hold to the path that leads us to this every nation under heaven vision of what God's church is, is to pay attention to the people that are entering our lives. Trusted guides. One person who's entered my life in the last oh, year and a half, two years, a man named Bob Eckblad out on the West Coast who's been reading the Bible with the outcast, uh, the prisoner, the addict, uh, the uh, uh, immigrant, of how to read the Bible in such a way that his, our socioeconomic kind of mindset does not uh, create barriers, but helps uh, to get that message through. And he's learned and is passing it along. The message is already there. I've been in prison work for decades now uh, and have found out that, that uh, in such a powerful way, they are the Galileans. They are the ones who have, um, you know, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And yet because they have been through refiner's fire because many of them come in a place that unlike I uh, they are not vested with the benefits of the world credit capital uh, economic social services family support citizenship that offers special entitlements they don't have any of that and and reading the Bible with them is making me see how much of my reading of the Bible, my lens on the world, is tied up with all, the, all these things that I just take for granted, that that's the way things are. Another is with the recovery community. Um, I realize, they, in, in talking with them, I realize how much of my life is based on willpower, um, a reliance on willpower. I got to do this. I read a testimony uh, of a lady who said uh, some uh, Christians gave me uh, a pamphlet about the introduction to Paul's letter to the Romans and asked me to say a prayer. And I said the prayer and they said, now you've got it. And she said, I knew I didn't have it. I was critical. I was perfectionistic. And any time I read have faith, I interpreted it as try harder. And I realized how, how easy it is for me to get caught up just in living life with my own willpower, trying to do things in my own strength alone. And then to sit in a group where 
The first step is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable, and then step two, we came to believe a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And I realize that's more of the, that's uh, flesh and blood and uh, amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. And the working of their steps, of the 12 steps, is like our discipleship. You got to work the steps, they'll say. You got to keep it green. And our discipleship is that life and death. To hear that, that that really is their sanity, their life depends on them yielding their willpower as the first step to their recovery. That sounds a lot like I surrender all that we sing, doesn't it? Another thing that's entered my life recently is uh, the, the Baptist connection with Cuba. I've read about it from afar. I can't tell you what a joy it is to know that you have already uh, blazed that trail and are a part of that, the por la gloria that uh, we began our service. Uh, I've known Stan Dodson and Kim Chrisman for decades. Kim is the daughter of my campus minister of blessed memory uh, from Wake Forest years. And, uh, and I, I know them, but I'll be going to Cuba for the first time in October. And I uh, got this past week, Stan's uh, and Kim's uh, attachments of the course, orientation course, we will be uh, 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 studying, discussing for six weeks before our trip to Cuba. And I don't know about you folks, but whoo, man, that is, uh, that that is tough stuff about how our traditional model of missions is, can be based on our resource-rich setting and therefore, we, it's easily to set up a relationship of unequals to where we're, we bring in the big resources and, and thereby not learn from those who have had to live life with very little of that and therefore have much to teach to the rest of us. I mentioned um, uh, things that are entering our life. I was in a, in a Bible study recently where somebody was talking about Matthew 25, which has been one of my central passages through the years. As Pastor Jeff ended the service last week, Jesus has left the building and he calls us to follow him. And that's you follow where Matthew 25 says. But this recent Bible study said we've got to read that in light of Matthew 10 where Jesus sends out his disciples. Go without food, go without money, go without life. Make yourself vulnerable to those to whom you will speak. If they receive you, they will be the hosts, uh, not us. And I realized how much of my understanding is church, our model is the host. We have the buildings, we have the heated space, we have all the resources and y'all come, which is wonderful. That's a part of it, but not the only part. It's forming us to where we are the ones vulnerable. We are the ones dependent upon being received into the homes. And, and therefore, Matthew 25 is uh, the ones who do not receive, Jesus says, my brothers, my sisters. That, that is the... Uh, the, the um, uh, criteria there. All of that 
it's just in these past my appointed three score and 10 years is, is very unsettling and very disoriented even. I think that's the Spirit's work, isn't it? All along the way that, that um, it's a little scary when, as, as John Robinson said to the pilgrims that were leaving from Plymouth Rock, more light, there is more light yet to break forth from God's holy word. That's part of the Spirit at work. And then I remember this disorienting, unsettling, and yet, as Cheryl said, fear and fire and joy and awe, what it is to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. When it starts to get, well, Lord, if all these models start shifting around, that's, that's all I've known. Then I remember what we read last Sunday. I, I listened to the service, so I know you read the sur uh, that's passage here as well, of Jesus, after 40 days, leads his disciples out to a mountain, tells them to wait, you will receive power, clothed with power from on high, and he disappeared from their sight. Imagine, they would never see Jesus again in his body, see his flesh, see the gleam in his eye, hear uh, his voice, feel his hand on their shoulder. It was over. Now what do, they do? what do we do? This is the way we've lived. And there was that kind of fright. There's kind of this, uh, what do we do now? And Jesus gives them what they need in that moment. You will be given power. A power that will make you into a witness you never thought you could be. It will lead you into places you never thought you would go. Sisters and brothers, when models and understanding start being shaken a little bit and are, are living out of the faith, we are given power. What looks to be an end for those disciples was a glorious new beginning. And that is the work and the promise of the Holy Spirit. Tom Long is a very gifted preacher and teacher of preachers. And one day he was teaching three little girls in a Sunday school class. And he asked them, do any of you know what Pentecost is? And none of them answered, so he said, well, Pentecost was when church, the church was sitting in a group and the Holy Spirit landed on them like tongues of fire on their heads. They spoke the gospel in all the languages of the world. And Long said two little girls uh, took that information in stride, but the third little girl looked absolutely astonished, mouth open, eyes wide and bright and finally she says gosh Reverend Long we must have been absent that Sunday and Tom Long thought about that, what that little girl said and later he reflected and he said the beauty of that moment was not that that little girl misunderstood Pentecost but that she understood about the church. Brothers and sisters, I 
lift up God's gift of the church, of Christ, through forgiveness of sins and repentance and calling and claim and baptism and lived out witness. He has raised up the church to set before us our part, our significant part, that every nation on this planet, every people group, we are in their fellowship. We are praying that God continues to draw us out. This is what we're praying when we say, Thy will be done, right? God, draw us out of any self-imposed little orbits that we're living our life into the joy and awe of how you are bringing your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Wow, that makes me almost like that bemused customer at the coffee shop. Woo! I can't wait to the glory of God. May we pray. Oh God, on the day of Pentecost, you enabled your spirit-filled people so to bear witness to their Lord. The people from every nation under heaven heard good news in their mother tongue. Baptize your church today with the same spirit of power. May your richest blessings fall on this good congregation, this ministry staff, these followers of Jesus. Bless their ministry, their life together, their forming, their going further up and deeper in to what you have, your, your purpose for them. Help them to live and preach the gospel to the whole creation so that all peoples of the world may hear and learn and believe in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to the glory of his name. Amen.